If you haven't signed up for Discord, please do so. We have a great Major Demo Media community. And you can sign up for that link at majordemomedia.com. We have, again, discount codes, 10, 15% plus discount codes to our partners. Any day cookware, if you haven't had, if you haven't seen the extra large, any day, it is, it's a real game changer. You can cook a lot more food and you can do braises and certain things you weren't able to do. And I sort of use it as a salad bowl these days too. So it's a little bit of everything. Athletic Brewing, Athletic Light, if you haven't tried it, that is the one that I'm drinking the most right now. Still the Rattler, still drinking it on ice, and of course, Cometeer, changing my coffee game. And all things Momofuku, we have something coming up soon. I'm not allowed to talk about what it is exactly, but it is delicious, I will tell you that. And you can get that discount code and use it at shop.momofuku.com. We're available nationwide at places like Whole Foods, Target, and your local great grocery stores. And if you aren't close to something like that, you can get it mail-ordered in. All right. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Yola Tango, as always. You have me solo today. Chris Yang will be on the next podcast. We have today a little slice of life into an Ask Dave and a Moif. And then we're going to do a little bit of a top five where there's a big shakeup in the foods that I eat or my top five rankings right now of Asian foods. Big shakeup. It's so big that I'm, I can't even believe it myself. But uh, I feel like some version of this format is going to be what we're, we're tinkering around with for the next foreseeable future, even when Chris gets back on. But before I get into that, I wanted to start off with like three things I think about. And currently I'm thinking a lot about Oppenheimer, the movie. I will see Barbie soon but I really wanted to watch Oppenheimer. I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan. I just love how he thinks and sort of the themes in his movies, but there's enough footage out there and you could probably learn a lot just going online about the movie. It's great. You should watch it on iMac, but there's three things that I'm thinking about that maybe you guys aren't thinking about that I'm trying to share. One is in the movie, Meg Ryan and Jack, Jack Quaid is his name. Dennis Quaid's son plays a character that you don't find too much about at all. And his name is Richard Feynman. And after the dropping of the bomb of the test in Los Alamos, you see a a clip of somebody raising bongos up. And that is a sign to Richard Feynman. And maybe in a director's cut, you're going to find out a lot more about Richard Feynman, one of the smartest, most accomplished physicists of our time. And again, I really enjoyed, enjoy in general, reading biographies about physicists especially this period of American theoretical physicists. And there's some great books out there about them. I find it to be intensely fascinating about how literally the smartest people we've ever produced think and how they live their lives and sometimes how flawed they are, but really they're just human. And as interesting as Oppenheimer is and someone that is literally zero idea how physics or quantum mechanics works, I think the life of Richard Feynman and how he thinks and what he did to be endlessly fascinating and he's got a couple great books out there. Surely or Mr. Jo- Surely or Joking, Feynman or Richard Feynman. I think they call him Dick Feynman. Check those books out. The other one that you're going to hear a lot about is the line, like, I become death to destroy worlds. That's a line from the Bhagavad Gita. If you so are inclined, you should probably get familiar with the Bhagavad Gita. I feel it's a 
a central theme in the movie Oppenheimer that, you know, basically how I've distilled and I've learned from college was you have to do what is expected of you, of your born cast, of what you are born to do, regardless of whether you know what's going to happen or not. You just can't predict the future and it's not really your choice. You just got to act. You have to act. And I think that's a central theme. And it's amazing to me that just, just to, again, for me, not understanding the, the genius of the physics of what Oppenheimer did. For me, it was, holy shit, he taught himself Sanskrit in the 40s or 30s. And there was no internet. There's no books. And I don't think there were many people in America that were learning Sanskrit or even teaching Sanskrit. And the fact he taught himself to do it and gave himself a translation. He translated the Bhagavad Gita, which is like an epic poem within the, this uh, very long, I think it's the longest book in the world, the Mahabharata. You should understand the Bhagavad Gita. I think it's a central theme to Oppenheimer. And even in a watch on Oppenheimer, I, I, I talk about it a lot. And I think it could be illuminating for people that are sometimes stuck with indecision. And... Again, I think the genius of this movie is saying like he really is the most important person the world's ever produced. And I, you can argue that or not, but you know we have nuclear arms because of this. And again, if they didn't do it, somebody else probably would. And I love how they talk about the construction of it. And I do enjoy, and I enjoy, it's not nothing to enjoy about the dropping of it, but the horrors of it. And this isn't in the movie as well, but... I was thinking, I was like, you know what? People need to know that a lot of Koreans died in Hiroshima and in, in Nagasaki. And I remember when I first went to Japan, I think I've talked about this before. When I was living in Izumi Tatora, I remember reading the English newspaper that there finally was a commemoration of all the Koreans that died in the bombings. And it was vandalized. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that fucking sucks. But I think that relations have improved quite a bit with Japan and Korea. That was 27 years ago, almost 20, 25 years ago. And I, I think the next generation, I do believe relations have gotten better tremendously with Japan and Korea. It isn't nearly as bad as I think it once was. It has improved, but it's also comes from a history of really shitty shittiness. And if you aren't familiar, go watch Pachinko or read the book Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, the great author, a close friend of mine. And a lot of people sort of lump it all together. But I, that's what I was thinking was that it wasn't just Japanese people. There were many people. Nobody should have like perished that way. But, you know, it's not a fun time to think about. But again, like that is always burned in my memory. I was like, wait, like that's fucking sucks. <laughs> that sucks a lot. So it's a lot to think about. It's a fantastic movie. I disagree with Yuno Lee, who thinks that it's too many themes going on. And I think it's going to absolutely destroy the Oscars. I mean, clearly it's going to be a bunch of Barbie and uh, Oppenheimer actors in, in, in all of those categories, as they should. And shout out to Greta Gerwig for doing something that uh, no one's ever done before. Pretty, pretty amazing. Anyway, we'll get on to the show. We're going to get on to an Ask Dave. No, before an Ask Dave, a slice. So one of the things I don't understand about my son, um, Gus is too young to, to realize, but something that is very different than me growing up is that he loves to wear pajamas. He insists on wearing long sleeves and pants. He cannot go to bed. He refuses to wear shorts. 
and a t-shirt. That's just not what he does. His mother loves wearing pajamas. This is going to sound crazy to you because I don't think anybody's talked about the pajama problem. And I'm about to explain what the pajama problem is. And it's like literally the one thing that I started to notice like, oh man, like he really is 50% of me. And this is definitely his mom's side. This intense desire to wear pajamas. Again, like I don't, I'm a boxer's dude. I, I sleep with boxers and I think I've slept that way. I don't know. I don't remember what I did as a kid, but I don't think I was using pajamas. And if I did sleep with pajamas, I don't now. And I just don't understand why people would wear pajamas. It, it boggles my mind. It's, it's, it's not about heat. I just don't understand like why. It's the same reason like when people realized during the pandemic, like, wait, I don't have to wear a suit to go to work? Wow. You're basically putting on a suit to go to bed. It don't make any sense to me. It's not comfortable. And don't tell me that it's satin or this or flannel pajamas. That's basically like an inferno. That's, that's, that would be prison sentence to me. All right. If you, if you wanted to punish me, put me in flannel pajamas. And what I'm trying to get at is I think that much like the Hefeweizen principle, I think that this is actually, there's only so many paths that everyone can choose in their life, how they go to bed. You know, we're all going to die. That's a guarantee. But another guarantee is you have a choice about how you want to go to bed. And I'm going to boil this down to really just two, because there's four. One is proper pajamas. And, And again, within the pajama principle, you have different kinds. You can have custom monogram shit, right? Then you can have, you know, everything on down. Then you can have just the t-shirts and shorts or t-shirts and like lacrosse shorts or something like that. Like that's like the college sleeping uniform. Then you just have underwear. That's it. People sleep in underwear. That's it. And then you have people that sleep nude. And I've only met one person in my life that sleeps nude. And uh, it makes sense why they would sleep nude. And I'll explain that later. But I'm going to just boil this mostly down to pajamas or no pajamas. Or pajamas and short. You know, it's, it's, I, it's either pajamas or no pajamas. And if you boil it down to that way, what else can you think about in life where every single person, since the invention of culture, modern culture, has made that decision? Right? So... There's different levels of the outfitting to go to bed, and I'm not that kind. And I guess what I'm struggling with is, what does it say? What does it say about me that I don't like to wear pajamas? And it's not to do with heat, right? Well, I think there's clearly, but I'm just telling myself it has nothing to do with it. What does it say about me that I, 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 I rarely like to put on a shirt, and I think it's because I do like the feel of the sheets or whatever, but I feel like I've slept that way since I was a kid then there are people that wear pajamas. And there are some of people that I'm best friends with. My wife is a pajama wearer. I can't imagine Grace not wearing pajamas. It'd be weird if she didn't. But does it say about somebody that decides that they want to wear a matching pajama set, right? A, be- a sleep time suit, as I like to think about it, right? And I, I want to give you an example as a, as a comp. In college, one of my closest friends 
could who could barely not piss his own bed, right? Was like a, just a boxer going to bed, boxer guy. And and if my friends are listening to this, you know exactly who this is, right? Um, and it's uh, the first name starts with the same name that Shakespeare had. <laughs> There's a lot of those out there. Don't worry. But this person could barely like not wet his own bed because of uh, you know beer consumption at night. And we were at a gathering of some college friends and the next morning while I was making breakfast, he woke up in matching monogrammed pajama set. And we were a lot, it was a, like a three day weekend. No one else thought that was weird, but I did. I had to ask myself like, who is this fucking person now? What happened? Right? Because Nothing really changed too much as personality, but something fucking happened. Something happened in this person's life that said, now it's time that I have to wear pajamas. And I wonder, is that going to happen to me? I don't think so. But you don't know. There's something that happens in a life where if you were not a pajama person, then you start to wear pajamas. And then it got me thinking, this is a long weekend and everyone's bringing a carry-on. This person had to think that, huh, of all the things I got to pack in my suitcase for a carry-on, I got to pack pajamas? That's like crazy to me. So crazy. What does that mean? Does it mean that they're more mature? I don't know. I think it's, uh, could it be a sign of OCD? I don't know. The only reason I can think of as to why one somebody would want to wear pajamas at all or not sleep in their boxers or naked is if a fire alarm happened or some kind of earthquake, there's no way or burglar, right? I remember when we had a, an intruder at night and I was sleeping in my boxers. I was like, should I, I don't know. I was like, should I put on a shirt? Like I didn't, I, that was like one of the first things I came through my head. And it was always funny in college when someone would pull the fire alarm, you would see, you would see almost everybody has someone who would sleep. The other thing that we shouldn't even talk about today is people that wear robes. I don't think Asian people are robe wearers. You know? Dude, like, the Japanese robe, like, you know, they have the whole robe situation going on. Like, I'm, I'm a big... You wear robes? A, if I'm at a hotel, I, I, I pop the robe on for sure. You, so, Victoria, are you a robe wearer? I'm currently not one, but I am thinking about starting to wear a robe. Corey, are you a robe wearer? Only if I'm in like a hotel mm-hmm. and especially if it's like a hotel that I'm not paying for and it's like a little nicer than I would usually <laughs> like that nice it's terry like, cloth. It's robe. Yeah, it's robe o'clock, baby. Yeah. And the robe, I feel like is the only way someone that sleeps naked or wears boxers or underwear that's their out in an earthquake or fire alarm. So I was wondering, I was like, so basically everyone that wears robes sleeps with nothing on, basically. And I was like, huh, so should I be a robe person too? So that, this is like, again, should I start drinking Negronis? Should I start drinking Fernet? This is to me sort of this life situation of like a crossroads in my life. Knowing that I'm never going to wear pajamas. This is never going to happen. And I'm hoping Gus is a non-pajama wear. We'll see. Maybe I have to start wearing robes. 
I don't know. But let me ask you this, guys. What do you think it means for someone that decides that they want to wear pajamas? Are you guys pajama wearers? I am a t-shirt and shorts, but I've noticed I'm going the opposite way of the trend. So I was started with pajamas when I was younger, graduated to t-shirt and shorts, and I could see it going in the other direction, which is why I'm thinking robe might be in my future. So so with less. Just yeah. Un- j- yeah. Yeah, right. Because it's more comfortable, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm a I'm a t-shirt and basketball shorts guy, and it's been that way since I was, what, like eight years old? Because you're freakishly tall. What pajamas <laughs> would fit you? <laughs> that, that was definitely one of the problems. Corey? Yeah, I think the elephant in the room here that we're not addressing is central air. If you have central air in your apartment or house or whatever your living situation is, then yeah, choose your own adventure. But like if you, like I lived in an apartment for four years with no heat or AC, and you got to kind of tailor your sleeping clothing. So you were a pajamas person. I mean, like, yeah, like January, February in LA, you might need to throw, throw some stuff on. Yeah. Wow. Cause I didn't even calculate that that might be a possibility. Cause I thought that people, there are people that I know that you guys probably know, and Corey is now one of them. They wear pajamas or how they sleep. So, for example, if I sleep in pajamas, then if I hang out with my friends, then maybe I'm a non-pajama person, right? They code switch in their moments of how they want to sleep. And I, what I didn't realize is Corey's a, a temperature switcher. And I don't know if I respect that. I don't know if I respect that at all. Because if you're cold, I think I would rather have another layer of blankets than to deal with a pajama. That's just like a real commitment. It's a real commitment to fucking put on buttoned up pajamas. You're just rich flexing now. This is, this is, you're, you're poor shaming me. (laughs) (laughs) How is this poor shaming? If it's a cold night, what's your blanket budget? How many blankets you got on hand? (laughs) I I, I just, we just have one. But then just put another thing over you. Whatever. What is it? What is it? I don't know. I'm not poor shaving. I'm saying like, how many blankets do you have in your house? I have like more now because I'm married and like my wife is a real person. Yeah. But like when I was like early 20s in LA, it's January. You don't have heat. And it's just like, all right, I'm, I might be sleeping in sweatpants tonight. I don't know. Yeah, sweatpants. That's not pajamas. Okay. Th- to me, that feels in like the... Dude, that's a completely different sport. That's in the pajamas MC. I don't... Uh, no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about people that wear real matching pajamas. Yeah, that's a different thing. I don't have like the set or whatever. I don't know. What do you guys think about someone? If you found out one of your friends was a proper pajama wearing person. I don't know, Dave. I think somebody wears pajamas as their shit together. All right. Like they, they take their sleep seriously. You know, there's a ceremony around it. And so it's something that they, they're taking, you know, with a level of like adult consideration, right? They're like, that's what I want to get at is the, is the pajama, a matching real set of pajamas, right? And I'm not talking about sweatsuit because that's just, to me, that's not even going to bed. That means I'm going to smoke pot all day long and stay in my bed. All right? That, that's like daytime sleeping. Daytime sleeping, very different than nighttime sleeping. You know, wearing sweats in bed, that means I'm going to watch 10 episodes or something straight. And I'm going to order delivery two times, maybe three times in a day. All right? All right, my, my partner's out. I'm going to tell them I'm doing something today, but really I'm not leaving my bed 
in my sweats all day. But it came to me that wearing proper pajamas is a statement. (laughs) It's a statement to nobody. And that's what's crazy to me. It's totally fucking crazy to me. It's a statement to no one. So if this is, this is true, then what are they like? Then everything they do outside of the has, has meaning and how they, how they do things. I think it's a standard that certain people that might be OC. I don't get like, I don't know at all what the pajama mean. So I think we should play a game, you know. Does this person pajama or do they not pajama? And listen, we're going to throw out people that just sleep naked. They're out. <laughs> right? Yeah. And the one guy I was saying that sleeps naked, he was like what, the most attractive person. He's one of those guys that looks like Brad Pitt. I was like, yeah, if I look like you, I would never fucking put clothes on. Ever. <laughs> you know what I mean? You should be naked all day. So if you're one of those people, yeah, it's not a surprise that you don't wear clothes to bed. Yeah, I always thought of it as like a, it's like a, you're a big deal type of move, right? Like, you know, you got to change the sheets, you know, when you're sleeping naked, like you can't just use the same sheets every day. Like, I think there's a correlation with people that sleep naked are the people that also don't wear underwear. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a subset of it, right? Corey's like, yeah, I I never wear anything at home now. All right, man, let's get on to this. Famous uh, do people, this, do, do they wear pajamas or not? Okay. All right, we'll just kick it off at the top of the thing. Um, <laughs> let's start with Bill Simmons, the pod father. Does he wear pajamas? It would be weird if I saw Bill Simmons in pajamas. In fact, I know that he doesn't wear pajamas because we share the house of the masters. Now, if Bill Simmons woke up in the morning and he was wearing pajamas, I'd be like, you are not the real Bill Simmons. You are a clone of Bill Simmons. It would be fucking weird if Bill Simmons wore pajamas. Bill Simmons is a t-shirt shorts person, as I would think that they would be. All right, next. All right, let's do Serena Williams, Tundas Goat. I think she has a custom set of Nike pajamas. If you're the goat of tennis, uh, you can do whatever you want. And again, like I would, I would wear... I'm positive she's got a Nike sleeping outfit. Why wouldn't she? For sure. Sleep is very important to athletes. Uh, But speaking of guys who is around athletes, but probably isn't one himself, Dana White, president of the UFC. Well, skinny Dana White, now that he's in shape because he's on, I won't say anything. (laughs) (laughs) He sleeps naked. What? What What did I say? Nobody wants to visualize that shit. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Let's move on quickly. All right. Kumail Nanjiani. Kumail is, I think before he got shredded, Kumail was a t shirt shorts guy. Now he's just a shorts guy in bed. Fair enough. Let those abs out. All right. Let's do one more, Dave. Lisa Bonet. I think she. I think she sleeps naked. Is that is that sexist to say? I mean, but also there's the Jason Momoa factor. What do you think? What do you think? I think does? they both sleep naked. If I look like them, I would never fucking wear clothes ever. 
If I'm Lenny, if I was his, her ex, Lenny Kravitz, never fucking work close. Ever. And that's like a that's like a group of folks where you're just like, yeah, you could totally see that. Let's do uh okay, let's start with Jimmy Kimmel. Um I think Kimmel's a shorts and short shorts, shorts and t-shirts guy. I think Fallon, man, Fallon's a shorts and t-shirts guy. I think Fallon gives off like pajama guy vibes. I don't know. I, I think he does. He just know. seems so wholesome so. and I like don't so. I don't think so. I think he's just a shorts pajamas, shorts and t-shirt guy. I would judge him the other way, where if I found out Jimmy Fallon was just like a sh- shorts and t-shirt guy, I'd be like, man, you're, you're just like me. Yeah, he's a normal dude. So, you know, upstate New York is a normal dude. But he seems like such a sweet and buttoned up guy. You're, so you're saying a, a person that wears shorts and t-shirts is not a normal dude? I'm, he's, a, he's normal, but I'm just saying, if I saw him wear a shorts and a t-shirt to bed, I'd be like, oh, but you're Jimmy Fallon. No, like, I think Fallon's a shorts and t-shirt guy. Colbert is a pajamas dude. <laughs> right? That's what I want to see. Like, you can start to see and typecast and really stereotype people. And stereotyping people is so interesting to me. <laughs> oh, God. James Corden, pajama dude. Pajama dude. Formerly of The Late Show. 100%. And Stewart? John Stewart. John Stewart. Shorts t-shirt. That's a tough call. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that. I'm just thinking about daytime host too. Kelly Clarkson pajamas. Drew Barrymore shorts t-shirt. But we Oprah Oprah pajamas. Oh, 100 percent. Right, 100 percent. Would it be no? See, so example. Picture Oprah being a t-shirt shorts person. I can't. It'd be weird. It's it's hard. If we found out that Oprah wears basketball shorts. The bed? That'd be fucking weird. <laughs> Said no one ever in the history of the world. I got to shout out Oprah real quick. I, I worked for her network, the Oprah network, for, for a very brief period of time. Everyone that works for Oprah gets her birthday off. That's... And listen, we hope that she never passes, but I think when Oprah Winfrey passes, whenever, hopefully many, many, many years, we might that might be a national holiday anyway. Honestly, it should Seriously. be it should be already. Let's yeah. She's the she's the real deal. I got an interesting one for you. Elon Musk. Elon Musk. What's he? How what do you think he how does how does he sleep? Naked. Naked and upside down with his arms crossed across his chest. Like but I've never been more sure that a guy sleeps naked. I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I think it's it's weirder than anything, any of the options that we've discussed so far. I think he, he's got a whole situation where it's like there's, I don't know. I think he sleeps in the clothes that he wears. Yeah, like for efficiency? Yeah. Yeah. I think he's that kind of dude. <laughs> he's, he sleeps on like the couch, sleeping in a sleeping bag on the floor. He's He's like, you know. I don't really need this. And he just changes in the morning. But more often than not, he's sleeping in the clothes that he was wearing that day. That's what I think. He wears jeans. Like, there's no way you're sleeping how, in a jean. Well, that's what I, how I feel about pajamas in general. What the fuck? That's not even, that's not even remotely. Dude, you can't. Thing. Suffering is not a competition here, right? <laughs> how I feel 
You know, you haven't gotten the couples counseling yet. How I feel is legitimate. All right. How I feel about pajamas is how you feel about sleeping with jeans. on. All right. Mark Zuckerberg. I think Mark Zuckerberg in the Facebook days, he was sleeping in cargo shorts and a t-shirt. <laughs> I, think, I think it's the same thing. He's probably sleeping in whatever he was wearing that day. Yeah. Um, then when he made his first billion, it turned into shorts and a t-shirt, but like nice shorts and a nice t-shirt. I think now, then, then the richer he got, and I don't think wearing a pajamas has to do with wealth. I don't. Um, he turned into pajama dude. Now that he could beat the shit out of anybody, have you guys seen how ripped he is? <laughs> and that he is training with like real MMA, like professionals. He's, he's a Mark Zuckerberg, folks, as a sleep naked guy. <laughs> Yeah, think about that. <laughs> Victoria just gave an audible like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to take a break. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All right, so we're back. Let's do an Ask Dave from Alex D. in New York City. Uh, hey, Dave. So I'm saving enough. I saved enough money. I'm career changing, going to ICE in New York City. That's funny because one of my friends I cooked with many years ago is trying to become an instructor there. ICE is Institute of Culinary Education. I know you said don't change careers, but you did it and it worked out for you. So you can't tell me that's a bad idea. What should I be doing now that I've sunk money into the tuition and I'm pop committed? Any words of practical wisdom? Any words of wisdom or practical advice? Thanks. Where should I work and how should I get a job there? Zero experience. Well, I went to the French Culinary Institute, which was acquired by ICE. ICE used to be Peter Kumps in New York City. And then it got rebranded as Institute of Culinary Education. I have nothing to do with that. I've been highly critical of culinary schools in general. We've talked about it many times. I do think that if you're going to go to cooking school, regardless of where you're at in life, you should probably just work at a restaurant. And if you enjoy washing dishes first, that's what I would have told this, told this Alex, that you should just wash dishes first and then see from there. Um, but if you're going to career change, you have a degree or some kind of job where it allows you to sort of make enough money to save because tuition's pretty fucking expensive, right? And I would all, Yeah. I mean, I, I think one year is probably fifty to $60,000 now. And that's not even one year. You're talking about like a nine-month program. Especially if you're not going to the CIA. So if you're, you decide not to go to a two- or four-year program. I went to a six-month all-day program. 
that was the FCI. And I have no idea what the curriculum is. I would, and it's too late. Like, you know, if you were like, hey, I'm going to ICE, I'd be like, what the fuck are you doing? It's too late. I love you. And now I have to help out. All right. I'd be like, shit. So I'm, what I'm trying to process is how did this person not listen to any of my fucking advice? <laughs> Number one. Right? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> All right. So now the dies cast, they're, they're going. And once you do, there's a, no way to get your money back. You can, but you get like 60% of it back. What do you do? So cooking school, there's either a night program. If you're going to a short one-year, under-one-year program, it's either a night program that's like, and that's how you see a lot of potential career changers do it. They get off their current job and then they go to cooking school at night and that's like 6.15 to like 10 or something like that. And that's like a year or so. Or you go from eight to three. And that's like a, like a normal school program. That's what I did. And I started working immediately. Um, after school, work in the kitchen. Because if you work a 40-hour shift, you can get 40 hours if you do from like 4 to 8. I mean, uh, 4 to midnight or something like that. Or 5 to 1 p.m. Five days a week, eight hours a day. I would say, knowing where things are at, I think many restaurants want to keep it at a 40 hours. I think over time used to be almost every restaurant that wasn't doing shift pay or something like that, you'd want to work 10 hours overtime on average. And overtime was where uh, as a cook, you, that's where you would make your money time and a half. And you'd loved working overtime. You would want to work as many overtime hours as possible. Cause that was just like, you know, video game money. It was like, bring it in. And you could hear that sound every hour. People were like, how many hour, overtime hours you got? That's like been curtailed for, for a lot of reasons. But I think most restaurants try to do like 40 hours a week. So, Depending on your program, whether you're at night or daytime, and you've now saved enough money and you are have enough money where you don't have to have a part-time job outside of cooking. So you'll probably make, you know, you'll make money from cooking. But I think a lot of it is if you're just starting out and your skill level is pretty low, you probably, I mean, I'm just trying to think where to go. I probably want to work at a bigger kitchen first. Or I don't know. I think it depends. I, I haven't really thought about this answer too much. And if it's too late, I think you, you would want to see one, and it doesn't have to be in chronological order. You would want to see a kitchen that does high volume, right? So a restaurant that does high volume at high standards. So I would think like something like Jean-Georges, uh, Central Park West would be a good example. that's open lunch that has a big enough staff that can like, you want to just see things. I'm sure there's other restaurant groups, right? You know, if I was starting out, okay, I think that's a better way. If I was 22 starting out, I'd probably go work for, I'd probably go see if I could get a job at Tatiana with Kwame because if I was young and I'm reading everything, it's the number one restaurant. And he, he's winning all those chef awards. And then you talk to people in the industry. They're like, yeah, man, like it's the best. And they're doing really interesting things. I would probably work there. And a lot of it is you look at his pedigree and his pedigree is EMP and per se. You're like, okay, uh, that's what I think. I would look like where 
he, this chef has worked and like where are they at right now? That would be one. I'd probably look at the Atomix team of Elia and JP. They have so many restaurants in New York that are doing well. And I would probably go work for Rich Teresi at Teresi as well. And I would get, I would get two jobs. If I, after school, let's just say you graduated, I would get two jobs. I would work 80 hours a week at two different restaurants, two very different restaurants. So that's why I would probably do a small restaurant and a large restaurant. Because truthfully, you used to work 80 to 90 hours anyway. And just, that's just not going to happen. So you have to make the choice about how much you want to immerse yourself. And it doesn't have to be a big restaurant. You can be like, okay, I want to, I want to, there's so many great pastry shops now in New York. Or if I want to work for, I don't know, any dessert program. I could work for Alex Dupac, right? That would be cool. I could work for the, the team at King. They have a Jupiter as well in 30 Rock. I could work for the Frenchette team. There's so many great restaurants that have one or two restaurants. Again, I think that's important to see production. You want to see how food can be produced from a high volume, high level executing restaurant. I think that's really important. You may think that you're not going to learn much and you're going to think that it's a lot of uh, organized chaos, but until you see how much food can get made, you're never going to know the threshold. And you're never going to know the organization that's needed to execute at that level. It's very difficult to do that without actually working there and seeing it. Or Balthazar would be a good example too. It's like, you just want to see it. It's really, again, you cannot make that time up elsewhere. And then I would choose a smaller restaurant. That 40 to 50 seats that does two turns. And there's a ton of restaurants. I think a lot of those restaurants are like in Brooklyn. So that's what I would do. I think unequivocally, I would get two jobs. I would get one job right after college. I mean, not college. After class ended, I would get a job. And after school ended, I would just add on another 40-hour week job somewhere else. So that's my answer. And where? There's so many restaurants. So I, I, just, I just listed a bunch. But you got to decide. Like if I was in LA, oh man, that's a good question. I'd probably work for, you know, I'd probably go, honestly, maybe like Antico, Nuevo in Cape Town, because I'd love to learn that kind of cooking. Or I'd work for a larger production. I'd probably get a job at like Moza and just see that kind of production. That's a really good example of a high volume restaurant that does really high quality food at a high level. And there's a ton of restaurants like that uh, in, in your respective cities. So I don't want to say they're like Moza, but that kind of high functional, high volume restaurant if you're not in New York City or San Francisco. And then I would choose a much smaller location by a young, I wouldn't say young, that always gets me in trouble, by someone that is super, super ambitious that has not achieved the level of success yet, but they're after it, all right? They always say that from, a, well, at least when I heard it, you wanted to work for a Michelin star chef that has their two stars and they want to go for their third star. And you know that that kind of chef, that's the kind of chef that I would work for. So, or maybe it's a one to two. Maybe I'd work for John Yao at Cato, right? Or try to break in at Brandon's restaurant at Hayato, even though I would never see anything because it's such a small restaurant to be in the back. But again, that kind of, even if I just was like descaling fish, you can learn so much. So I, again, I, I think the prerequisite here is you're, 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 you know, the, you burn that bridge. There's no way of going back. And if that is the case, you need to be totally immersed into doing that. So. That's what I think.
All right, let's take a break. This episode is brought to you by Seed. Did you know that most green powders and probiotics don't survive digestion? Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic is engineered in a two-in-one capsule to safeguard viability through digestion for complete delivery to your colon. A broad-spectrum probiotic and prebiotic formulated with 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains for whole body benefits, including gut, heart, and skin health. Visit seed.com slash Dave Chang and use Use the code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. That's code 25DAVECHANG to start seeding today. Since we started off Slice talking about pajamas and sleep, we're going to give you a moif sleep edition. All right, Dave. Uh, let's, let's kick this off. Um, so actually, when you're single, how often did you change your sheets? Oh, man. See, I, I moved out of the house when I was 14. So I had to wash my sheets like every week at school. Um, and I, I think I hated it so much. College, I don't think, I, went, I think I went through a whole year without ever washing my sheets in college. Gross. <laughs> but is it that, unco- is that, is, is it that uncommon? Can't say that it is, but uh, oh man. Yeah. Do you look back on that and think like, yeah, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a disgusting person. <laughs> Okay, I was rolling pizza that had olives and pepperoni in blue cheese dressing, you know, at four in the morning. Oh fuck! You know, ripping bong hits at four thirty. Okay, I was gross, and then like drinking beer at five in the morning. I was just you know a mess. So no, it was gross. How little I ever changed my sheets. At, uh, in my mid twenties, I think I did it not that much either, just because I was so busy. I don't, I don't remember it. I mean, I clearly did it way more, but not as much as you should. Now it's back to like all the time with my. Now that I'm married with kids, it is, I think, all the time. Not every day, but it's like a lot. What about you guys? Yeah, I, I definitely feel the degenerate college. I, I think I made it like a few months without changing my sheets, which at, at some point someone was like, dude, you have to like, this is a problem. Yeah, it's just not a priority when you're in college. Right? I mean, even when I was in college, I would change it like every season at least, right? Like, it's like, hey, it's about to be summer. It's gross. Like, you know, it's hot. Maybe you need to switch it out a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, but w- regardless whether I did it at all or a couple times doing it four times a year is still not enough that's fair it's just gross yeah I mean now that I'm grown up and and wife and kid it's like at least yeah I don't expect my kids if they go to college and they live by themselves for the first few years of their life that they're gonna have like you know clean bed sheets that's just not gonna happen okay let's move on to the next one um Okay, shower or no shower before you go to bed? Definitely shower. I'm a two shower a, a day kind of person. Me too. Um, and you know what? I know that people will say, well, that's a waste of water. I was like, I take quick showers. So I, I just do. I have to take a shower in the morning. I have to take a shower in the evening. And I don't understand how people don't take showers at night. That to me is, is gross. In college, 
it's whenever I, I don't think I did. Right. But now, now, and it has been for a while It's a shower before and a shower after. But if I was going out drinking, I don't think showers. I don't, that's how, that's how people pass out on their, their, their shower drain and like ruin the apartment below them. Happened to my restaurants many fucking times. Let's do a, a fuck, Mary kill on sleep tracking wearables. All right. So we've got the aura ring. It's going to last you a week. You put it on your finger. All right. I'm wearing uh, one right now. Okay. We got a whoop band and we got an Apple watch. Yeah. All right, Dave. Fuck, Mary kill. Kill the band. You, you, you fuck the Apple watch. Cause I mean, you, you put it on and you put it away anyway. All right. You don't sleep with it. I don't sleep with it. And then you marry the Ura ring, clearly. Yeah, it does help that the ring is actually a ring. Um, <laughs> but so you actually use an Ura. How do you? How did you find it? Um, <laughs> one of my friends left their highly paying, high paying gig in New York City, working at a hedge fund, and said, "Hey, I want to become an operator, and I'm going to join this company out of Iceland or something like that, Scandinavia." And I was like, you're fucking crazy. And he became the CEO. And he he identified it and he crushed. So I that's how I have one. I mean, I honestly it's one of the most insane fucking things. That I, I was there for the genesis of it all. And and uh, you know, I think he's made a lot of money. And he's no longer CEO of the company. He's now just living his best life. But Sleeping gadgets in general, I know that the downside people think is you gamify it, right? And it becomes stress. And it's like, you know, I, I had a conversation with like, I think Joe House and Bill Simmons like, why the fuck would you want to know? It's like, it, it creates more stress. It's like, you know, if you have a good night's sleep, I get it. But for a guy like me, I just, there's other things that I, I need to know. And I can't explain why I want to check my sleep, but I want to see if I'm sleeping poorly, what that might be. So I, I like it. I think the Ura for me is the best one. It gives me the most information. Awesome. All right. So do you eat or drink, drink anything before you go to bed? And a follow-up, like when's the cutoff? Now I drink as much as I want because it doesn't matter. I've already tested out. If I drink no liquids, I'm still taking a piss at like three or four in the morning. Don't matter. So I, I drink all the time now. now I, and eating... You know, smoking pot is a real problem. Or eating pot is, you know, I like those edibles. Very difficult. Very difficult not to have the munchies. So, also not good for your teeth. Not good for your body. It's like one of the worst things you can do. So, yeah, that's something I have to keep an eye out for. Because, I mean, it's like eating in front of the fridge you you can you can do a lot of damage because you're not putting on a plate so you don't know what you're fucking eating you know what I mean that kind of eating has that am I crazy do you guys eat in front of the fridge too oh I measure by like how much damage did I do and then I, I look back and I feel the shame like I'll go through like a half tub of potato salad and just be like that's gross that dude. potato salad hell yeah bro hell yeah I'll just stand up and eat potato salad for like two minutes I'll be like damn I didn't realize I ate half a pound of potato salad just for now. me it's cold cuts oh <laughs> Those are dangerous too. Yeah. Yeah. The eating in front of the fridge thing is a self-regulatory thing. <laughs> Even if it's fake and it doesn't actually work. It's like, okay, as long as I'm standing in front of the fridge 
and with the door open, there's a limit to how much I can But eat. Corey, you know how insane it is? Think about this, everybody. <laughs> if you ate that way, if one other person was in the kitchen, right? You'd feel like, you'd feel like this is nonsensical and insanity. Both you would think that and the other person watching you do that. You're literally standing in a fridge looking at it, hoping again that magical spell when you open up the fridge that even though you've been looking forever, you think some kind of amazing food's going to materialize out of nowhere. We've all done it. <laughs> I'm not and that's when you rational, think you're yeah. fucking Dumbus Albador because you think magic's going to fucking happen. All right? <laughs> Can we hope? Let's hit the brakes real quick. Did you say Dumbus Albador, Dave? <laughs> I said Albus Dumbledore or Al- Dumbus Albador, Dumbus whatever. Al- Listen, <laughs> the fridge wizard. Think about this. You open up the fridge and it's there so long and you're trying to eat as much as you can before the alarm goes off that it's open. <laughs> so it's almost like a shopping spree. And you have 30 seconds to shovel as much shit into your mouth as possible without making a mess, right? And without leaving any evidence behind. But your whole fridge is a plate. Everything. It's a really remarkable thing and disgusting. Because if you knew that you were being watched, you would never eat that way. I feel like this is mainly a dude thing. Victoria? Yeah, I'm shocked right now because I've never heard of this. Like, I've never, this is news to me. Corey, you know, back me up on this. Oh, it's definitely a dude thing, but I've noticed Eunice will like get up and just walk around and you can tell she's on the hunt. Like, it's like 11 p.m. She's tired. She's still working on on doing work. And then like, she's on the hunt. Yeah, so but that's, like, like, that's a, like a, a, that's an intelligent way of snacking. We're talking about literally just standing in front of the, the glow of the refrigerator is... <laughs> on your body and you are just you're just in a fast food you're just buffeting to your mouth conveyor belt of shit I got a theory for for ladies it might be the freezer because that's where the ice cream's at and it no, might be that it's time. not the same thing you don't think so? Yeah, you know no because usually the freezer's on the bottom not it, you gotta bend down yeah well okay you know okay, what I mean rich like, guy on what I'm talking <laughs> or, or the side <laughs> No, it's the top shelf for us, but like we have a cheap fridge. Um, yeah, but it's like ice cream time. You know what I mean? And they just start staring and waiting for like, okay, ice cream. So you shovel ice cream in your mouth standing up in the freezer? Yeah, and we also have like the little mochis with the ice cream inside. Oh, which is how's, we'll, we'll go through boxes. See, I've never done that before. I always like try to like put the ice cream pint on the table. Because it's more efficient that way. You cannot eat ice cream standing up. You don't really have enough torque in your spoon. <laughs> okay, you need a higher point of like fulcrum shit to like get it out. You need to use it as like a lever. And that's why you need a lower base. I'm just saying like, I'm shocked that you guys are such amateurs about this. <laughs> well, you got us. You got us. Okay. You got us. You can't eat ice cream in front. You got to put it on a, on a lower level around waist high. You need at least two feet of separation between the pint and your hand. Okay. I'm going to tie it back to something we talked about in an earlier episode. I think this is where the drinking straight out of the carton or drinking straight out of the, the bottle happens, though. If the fellow's in front of the fridge, it's like you see the orange juice and you're like, oh, yeah, I need to wash this all down. Yeah. But 
that's a given too. I'm talking about literally having a tasting menu at Degas Station <laughs> right in front of the fridge, in the fridge. <laughs> but it's all like meat course. <laughs> Just have you know? Oh my God. Corey, are you, you know what I'm talking about? What, the ice cream thing specifically? No, no, no. Just like eating in front of your fridge. Does your wife think you're nuts? Yeah, kind of. Um, look, I'm not, I'm not proud of it. It's, it's not a rational thing. No, but. I think we need to change this. Judo move this. We should be proud of it. <laughs> I'm saying, you know why? It takes a lot of effort to like do that in 30 seconds. Actually, will say. Do you think this ties into like girl dinner? <laughs> like, I feel like I feel like girls are doing this. I think I think this is one way to bridge the sexism in this world is people realizing that like when you're eating by yourself, you're eating like guys do. All right. Well, all I'm trying to say is don't even use a plate. Eat it. Use the fridge shelves as your plate. <laughs> <laughs> That's your plate. You have multiple plates. It's it's 4D chess. All right. There's a bridge too far here, Dave. <laughs> I think using the shelving as a plate is, is the bridge too far. No. Then you have never taken it. You will never break the sound barrier of eating if you just eat the way you're doing, you know. I'm disappointed in you. All right, next. Best hangover cure. What's your hangover cure, Dave? It used to be eating fried foods. Now, I just don't drink that much at all. I've been told that speed is a really good hangover cure. <laughs> There's a soup in Costa Rica that's boiled with cocoa leaves. That's really fucking good as a hangover cure. <laughs> Literally, it's like a hangover cure. Um, <laughs> it's a fucking chicken soup made with cocoa leaves. What do you want? <laughs> this is cocaine chicken soup. <laughs> Why is that your hangover cure? <laughs> I've never had it. I've been told okay. that's the best hangover cure. What do you want? I, I from believe me? them. I believe them. I imagine cocaine chicken soup is the best. But uh, okay, yeah. But do do you notice yourself getting hungover when you drink less? Even now, as you kind of get older, like are you are you? I don't like have the hangovers. I I really don't drink at all like I used to. Um, and. I think if I did have a hangover, it would be the end of my life. It would be like a star collapsing and turning into a black hole. <laughs> That's what I would feel like. Um, yeah. All right. Okay, let's move on to jet lag. All right, so you travel a lot. Uh, do you try to prevent it? No. Or you deal with it once you land? No. I don't. Because if I used to travel a lot to Australia two times, like once every month for like two years straight. I've learned that for me, there's a lot. I've heard people that talk about certain pressures in the plane and that'll help. And everyone has their little thing. I've learned that for every hour of jet lag difference from where you're at, it takes a day to sort of process, right? Which is why when you're going to a place that's 13 hours ahead or 13 hours behind and you're there for a week, it fucks you up the most because you're literally in a state of purgatory. Sleeping on a plane, I don't care. Like, if you try to beat the jet lag the next day, let's just say we're flying to Asia right now and it's like one in the morning. So it's like you want to 
go to sleep now and then wake up and then stay up for 13 hours to get on time, I don't even try it. I think for me, it's, I guess it's a metaphor for life. I don't even fight it anymore. If I'm in another country, when I was in Taiwan, I was like, okay, you guys are going there. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> I go to sleep immediately. If I'm tired, I go to sleep. I don't try to fight it. That's a ridiculous thing. I mean, clearly there are moments where I have to stay awake, but I'm just trying to, I'm not going to fight it. I know that no matter what, my body's going to regulate on its own. Oh, uh, this kind of, and do you take like an ambient on the plane or do you, do you, or when you try to sleep or things like that? Like, do you try to at least like, I don't take ambience anymore because I abuse them. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I used to, again, take a bunch, but to go to bed, I used to not be able to go to bed unless I took some and drank a bunch. And then flying so much, I used to have fun by trying to stay awake on planes. Because it's some crazy shit if you take Ambien and you don't go to sleep. You know how I would know that the Ambien was working? I was reading a book and then the words would fly off the page. I'm like, yep, <laughs> could be time to go to bed. <laughs> well, that H is really 3D. It's really coming out at me. I think I need to fucking go to bed. Okay. And again, and on the airplane, it's not like you can do things. So that's why it was a good place to do it. When you're flying 21 hours, there's a lot of things you can experiment with. Have you d done edibles on a plane? Oh, yeah. And is it, do, you, do you find it like pleasant? Because for me, it just feels like I'm, the flight takes even longer. You know, if you're on a long haul flight, you're just like, this is like the longest flight I've been on in my life. No, I don't. I don't think so. I, 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 don't, I don't do that. I mean, I told that story when I took mushrooms and I was booming on the plane. That was horrific. Horrific. Um, no. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't worry about that. I think for me, it's, it's just going back to the jet lag, not the drugs, is um, I've just, I've, I've learned not to fight it anymore. So that's, that's me. All right. Speaking of drugs, is there a point in the day where you're not going to take any stimulants like coffee? Because it's going to mess up your sleep. Well, again, like I really never drank coffee until I had kids. And then I honestly, you know, I, I like to work with companies that I really work with because I use it. Cometeer is something I drink a lot more. So easy that if I drink it past, say, 2, 3 p.m., I think it's going to fuck me up. And then when there's the nights where I'm like, oh, man, why can't I sleep? I was like, oh, yeah, I had the coffee at like 3, 3.30, uh, 4 o'clock. Um, so I try to avoid that. And if I am up, I try to counter that with a 10 milligram Indica special. All right. Fast acting. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, something here for, oh, excuses for oversleeping. Hmm. What are the best excuses for oversleeping? I think it's really hard to have an excuse, especially when you're going to school or class. Or if you live close to work, there's no way in hell to get the, I just woke up face, even if you take a shower. <laughs> I think it's a straight, impossible lie to say like, uh, no, it was traffic. Oh, no, no, no. You, you can't. I, I think you just got to, I think we need more people to just be honest. Like, yeah, I overslept. I think mo most, most people don't you just go straight to the excuse. Yeah. What, what happened? Why are you late? It's like, yeah, I just overslept. I think that's, I would respect that a lot more. I wish I would respect myself more when I was younger if I just said that. Yeah, you know what? I, 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 
your class doesn't really interest me. I have to take this because it's a course requirement. So I overslept and I missed two thirds of your class. I wish I had the balls to say something like that. I, I think we should, yeah, destigmatize the I overslept. Like that's a, you're, you're taking care of your body, right? Um, but it's always funny. Have you ever been in a situation in, in school where somebody overslept? They don't use the excuse that they overslept and they go in and they say, or they don't say anything, but you see that like they have the sleep line on their face. <laughs> That's the best. <laughs> I think I might have been that guy a couple of times. Um, in Japan, it's really hard to get away with saying you overslept or having any excuse that you're late for work because the you you can't even say the subway was late because in New York you can say or even DC the metro or any kind of public transportation system you can blame the government and how it operates in Japan. They literally print out a note <laughs> that says, so we've been late because of the train's been delayed X amount of minutes. Yeah. You're fucked. There's no lying in Japan. That's intense. Anyway, I'm just pissed that the older I get, I can't sleep as much anymore. And it's true. So <laughs> if you're in your 20s, enjoy it while it lasts, motherfuckers. <laughs> All right, let's take a break. So we're going to mix uh, an approval matrix and disapproval matrix with the top five Asian countries. And maybe that's how we're going to start to do this thing. Mix the top five into an approval matrix. But it's super hot outside. And a few months ago, we did a top five of Asian foods where, you know, I, I clearly had the best list between Chris and Yuno where I chose Japan number one, Korea number two, China number three, Vietnam number four, and Thailand number five. And I think Japan, China would be on most people's one and twos in terms of lists. But it's hot. It's hot all over the country. And I've been eating a lot of Vietnamese food. I went to Garden Grove, which in California is very similar to, say, the, the, the Vietnamese community in Houston. Or uh, where's another large Vietnamese? Minneapolis, I think, has another large one. I know. Alexandria, Virginia, uh, Virginia, Arlington, Virginia has one. Reminds me of that, but I think this might be the largest one. Houston's pretty big too. New Orleans has a, not as big, but it's big. I've been eating it and I, I have to, I'm going to revise it. And this is going to probably piss some people off. But I currently think if I have to give you my top five, I think we're going to, it's like a you know college football rankings or men's college basketball. I don't think Japan and China are in the top five right now. What? Yeah. Oh, like not in the top five. Yeah. Okay. China was number one, and it's been replaced with Vietnam. And I'm beginning to think every time I eat great Vietnamese food, you know what I think? I'm like, is this the best food in the world? Is this the best food in the world? Because I don't think of any other food that marries so well with heat, right? It's so crisp and cool and refreshing. I don't know of any other cuisine that has as much herbs, fresh herbs, and like really fragrant, spicy herbs, and texture, and crunch, and sweet, and spicy, and acidic. And it's like one of the OG fusion foods 
that makes sense, right? You get the little bit of the Western cuisine, you get a little bit of Chinese cuisine, and then you get Southeast Asia as well. But every time I eat it, I'm like, man, I feel good. I feel, I don't feel light because I always overeat. And if in Garden Grove, we had way too much food going to like three restaurants. You only needed one. But because of the pho and even Boon, Boon is an amazing, Boon is like the best. I, I view it even though people will probably wouldn't because you, I view Boon as a salad. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cold noodle salad to some degree. And I'm just really digging it. And I think the reason I'm digging it now is it's hot outside. And you know, this is like the Miami Dolphins playing in Minneapolis, right? In, the, in cold weather, if it wasn't a dome stadium, I just it, you would bet against Miami, right? If Miami had to play against New England at Foxborough, you're going to bet against Miami. But, although I do think Miami's going to win the Super Bowl this year. I, um, I, right now, and I wonder if it is seasonal. Vietnamese food is, I don't even, even I just had, I had a great banh mi. I was thinking, I was like, shit, is this the best sandwich in the world? It's so, a good banh mi is transcendent. That bread, it's airy, it's crisp. It's made in a way that no French baker would ever make. It's, it's, it's got everything. It literally has everything you'd want. Man, it's it's hard to beat. It's got double starch everywhere. It's Vietnamese food is now. I'm sure people are like, of course, where where have you been, dumbass? I think right behind Vietnamese food, and it, it would be tough. But for for right now, because I've eaten more Vietnamese food the past month or two, I would say Thai is right behind it. It's so vibrant. It's so goddamn delicious. <laughs> It's it's really extreme flavors in every dish. Um, and this is the thing is like a good chicken satay is delicious. And that's the entry point. Even pad thai. A good pad thai, you're like, shit, this is good. It's got balance. It's got sweetness. It's the only cuisine I know that really worries about the five things you can taste on your tongue. We got great Thai restaurants here in L.A., Unfortunately, on the east side, there's not as many good ones as there are closer to Hollywood. But um, we 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 had a a great Thai meal recently at at a place that I didn't even expect. On I don't want to say it because there it was just a pop up. Um, it was awesome, right? Um, and Anna Jack Thai, that's like the hottest Thai restaurant right now. Hottest restaurant here in LA. So good. I, I, Thai food, again, has the similar qualities to Vietnamese food to me, but it's very, very different. It's also an Asian food that is unique, that it doesn't have... It's the only Asian country never to be conquered by China. I think that is really present in, in the food, and that's what I respect about it, too. It's unique in its sort of construction. And again, like, overeating Vietnamese food, you can live with yourself. Overeating Thai food, you know you're going to do it. You're not going to feel terrible. I think right now with it super hot, I have to put Korean food number three. And I've been eating a lot of Dongchimikuksu. That's the chilled, really somen noodles with uh, thin wheat noodles in the, the vegetable pickle broth with ice, sliced tomato. Corner Place has a great one. Koteji in Riverside. 
No, Fullerton. Fullerton. It's in uh, La Mirada, Fullerton. Yeah. Also great. We've been going there. Um, and I haven't been eating as much nengmen. And nengmen has becoming like a thing right now. Not a thing. It's always been a thing. But you're seeing more and more people eating it. And I personally am not a fan of modern 2023 nengmen. I prefer it much more traditional because that's just like how I grew up. And we we're talking about nostalgia the other day. I like it the way my father liked it. And I think it's my connection to it. And I think eating older, more traditional style mundingmyeon, which is the cold pickle, like basically the dongchimi broth with a, a beef broth as well with chewy buckwheat noodles with a starch. Um, it's hard to describe. Not everyone's, it's delicious if you love it. It's very much a Korean summer food. I think that a lot of the modern interpretations I eat are way too sweet for me. Way too sweet. Okay. And I like sugar. And then are you saying like opposed to the bibim nengyun? Uh, bibim nengyun has never been my jam. Really? Yeah. Okay. But I'm, that's why I think dongjimi to me is, uh, is the right balance for me. So that the North Korea's got their hooks yeah. in, man. And uh, I had something recently at uh, Hangawi Kalguksu uh, in LA. Uh, there's like a Jolmian Nengmian. Yes, that was really good. Yeah, they have a wheat uh, a wheat noodle based Nengmian, and it's, it's that was good. that was uh, shockingly good. Um, so Korean food, you say goodbye to the jigis and the tongs, and I, I haven't had too much barbecue. I have to go to parks again soon. I haven't been in a while, so say hi to Jenny, but. I think for me, the cold noodle soups, Korea owns, owns. If China owns dumplings, Korea owns cold noodle soups. Like, it's ridiculous how, what the advantage it has over all of Asia. Don't even fucking come at Korea on cold noodle soups. Japan, China, you put it all together. You do the best of all of Asia cold noodle soups. You will still get crushed by Korea. Okay. The fourth thing that I've been craving for and I haven't been able to find a restaurant that does it, but I keep on thinking about eating a lot of it in Australia is Sri Lankan food. One of my favorite things that I, I really fucked around with a lot was trying to make hoppers or oppums. Um, and I just love Sri Lankan food. It's got Southeast Asia, India, Dutch. It's a mutant child and it produced a beautiful, weird, awesome thing. And it's awesome. And I don't know. Again, I think that coconut flavor or just whatever, even if it's hot outside, it feels like it's not a problem. It's just, it doesn't feel weird that you're eating it or strange. And then if I'm going to talk about Sri Lankan food, I would talk about Malaysian food in general. I think foods that are just designed for the super hot, super hot weathers. And I don't know why I'm excluding India, you know, but that's on me. And I, I think it's because there's only one really nice Indian restaurant it's not even a restaurant. It's a market. What's the name of it? You know that I like so Banu's, much? Banu's Grocery over on uh, Rosemead. And I, again, like I, I haven't really done the exploring of Indian foods. I'm still doing everything else as a priority for me, but that's the Indian food of choice and it's delicious. I just, you know, I think it's different. I feel like the Indian food here is different than what we would get in New York. We would get Indian food delivered almost weekly in New York. My wife loves it very, very much. So I don't know. I think for me, the, the compromise is having Sri Lankan and Malaysian in there because you get some of those flavors. And 
I don't know. It's really good. But all I'm trying to say is China and Japan not in the top five. So that's news. This is a this is a huge upset. All right. I think it's like a just a huge upset. Like think about it. China I'm, and Japan not in my top five. I'm still shook. I'm still shook. Like I don't know why you would exclude China ever because I'm you know you know me I love Chinese food so can I be honest I think I'm SGV now. How is that even possible? There's so much out there, so much to explore. I mean, I am. I'm not craving Chinese food. I'm not. You think the weather has something to do with it or just like? I feel like the Chinese food that I like to eat makes it super, I feel very, I don't know. I just, I don't want to eat it right now. And maybe it is weather dependent. But I can't remember the last time I had Chinese food. Maybe come back from Taiwan. Wow, okay. I'm really not. And, and like, only time I had Japanese food was going to Otofuku and that was delicious in Gardena. But in general, like when I think about my top five list about the food that I crave the most, whether I'm eating it too or crave, like I'm thinking about it and Chinese food and Japanese food, not in there. And this is just the top five of Asia. You're leaving Duke and UNC out of the poll right now. I know. That's- well, they better get over themselves. <laughs> okay. God. All right, guys. Um, thank you. Go watch Barbie and Oppenheimer and all the other great movies that are out there. It's nice to go to the movie theaters again. Uh, when we come back, we'll have Chris Yang, so you don't have to listen to me all the time. And I want to talk quickly about a thing I like. I'm loving all the rip-off garlic sauces that are available from Zanku's Chicken. And it's called Tomb, and I think you can get that at the supermarket too. And they have one in a Chipotle flavor. It's super good. It's super, super good. And I'm putting it on everything. And I don't think it's very healthy for me to do that. But like, I'm going through one of those buckets like myself like every two days, it seems. Um, And I mix it with chili crunch. You know what's funny? We're out of chili crunch and my wife bought some at Whole Foods for us. I was like, wow, when I mix those two together, delicious. And I know it's the most asinine thing to say, but I was like, shit, this chili crunch is delicious too. (laughs) But no, I, I... this garlic sauce, there's a great Curb, Kirby Enthusiasm episode about this garlic sauce. And the chicken place that they're talking about clearly is about Zanku's chicken. But most of those kinds of chicken places have a, a garlic sauce. And I never have to make it again because I can just buy it at the supermarket too. And it's awesome. So it doesn't taste overly garlicky. I don't understand why people are like, oh, I don't like garlic flavor. I mean, honestly, I've just cut those people out of my life. But it's really good. I like it. Maybe you'll like it too. So go check it out. I don't even know if it's T-O-U-M. Is that the name? Yeah, it's Tomb. Tomb. You know what we should do? We should do a collab. (laughs) All right. uh, We'll talk to you soon. Give us five stars.